0: So, John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. Starting at verse 20, looking at 20 through 23 right now. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Glory Road. How many have seen Glory Road? Disney movie? Yeah. Only only one. Okay. Recommended. It's a great, great movie. It's one of my favorites. It's a basketball movie. It's based on the true story of 1966 Texas Western basketball team. Don Haskins is the newly appointed coach and has very, very little money to work with. Um, So he begins to uh, build this team kind of from the ground up, and he recruits the best players regardless of their race, So the movie's about not only a team of underdogs, but a team that comes up during some very difficult times with regards to racial tensions. Haskins puts his players through a rigorous training program, threatening to cut anyone who doesn't work as hard as he demands, all the while trying to integrate his players into a a single team with a common goal, which is to win the championship and to work well together as a team. Uh, he has a rigid style, the way he makes them play, um, and they had this kind of really different style that uh, they wanted to bring into the game, and he kind of doesn't let them at first, but then allows them and integrates the two styles together, and off on the road to glory they are. And they end up winning Uh, The championship in 1966. However, this road to national championship was not at all easy. It took discipline, self sacrifice, and perseverance as they faced threats, persecution, and violence along the way. As a matter of fact, in the movie, it's one of the most heart wrenching scenes. Uh, one of the players goes into the bathroom and is beaten to a pulp by a bunch of white guys. Just beaten. Yes, they win, but the road to victory was paved with the bricks of suffering, trials, and self-denial. How many people want an easy road in life? It's okay, you can, you can say it, I do. I, I grew up, and I always had these really lofty goals. I, I always wanted the best, you know, had these really, you know, delusions of grandeur, we'll call them. And, you know, I would always try to start something and then realize how difficult it would be, and I said, that's not for me. My mom would make fun of me. She would say, you have all these aspirations, but yet you, you don't want to do the work to get there. Jesus begins this statement and, and it, it, it flows right out of last week's passage. The, the Jews want Jesus to enter into His glory, and they want to enjoy the spoils of that glory with him. And they want Him to enter into that glory, not the way of God's kingdom, but the way of the world. This is Jesus how Jesus's path to glorification, and it is absolutely radically different from anything the world could ever imagine. Jesus' glorification, his road to glory, is through suffering, self denial, humiliation, and death. Here, Jesus explains what must happen to him. But he doesn't stop there. Also, to all that choose to follow him as well. And again, I look out at the landscape of Christianity in America. And not everywhere, there are some pockets. But I tell you what, for the most part you would think that this passage was just erased from the Bible. This is about Jesus' death, yes, and his road to glory, but this is also discipleship 101, folks. And what Jesus says here needs to be proclaimed in every single church that ever exists. Just like all kingdoms have laws and roads have rules, we're going to look at three of them today. Uh, Beginning with the first one, death is essential to be fruitful, verse 24. Right after Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, He tells us how. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Many people are fascinated with the story of the Titanic. My wife is is one of them. Uh, Many of you know that story, Uh, but many of you may not know when the Titanic crashed into the iceberg, all the ship's resources, the the, the lighting, uh, the electricity, the heat, the power, and so on, were instantly in danger of failing. However, the engineers who were in the engine room worked to supply the electricity by keeping the engines and generators operational to ensure the survival of as many passengers as possible. If the lights in the wireless telegraph had failed, panic would have ensued and it would have been impossible to summon the assistance or lower the lifeboat safely. But through the efforts, these individuals' efforts, power was maintained for the telegraph to be sent uh, ten minutes before she sank and with with the lights failing just two minutes before she sank. Although 1,000... 517 people died on the Titanic, the death toll would have been much higher if it hadn't been for the efforts of these engineers. All 25 engineers and 10 electricians and boiler makers stayed below and went down with the ship. I like that picture because it shows the lights still on, doesn't it? There's a reason those lights are still on is because... Individuals gave their lives for people that they didn't know. Can you imagine if those guys, I mean, all 35 people decided to say to themselves, you know what, I have no idea who these people are. They may not have met any of them. But I'm going to give my life in order to help and save them. We can think about what would have happened, but it didn't happen. Because why? They chose... Self-sacrifice over self-preservation. And the death toll would have been so much higher had they not done that. We think about that, but what if Jesus decided to say, you know, here's the Greeks, are seeking him. They want to see him. The the Jews want to usher in this kingdom. What if he's like, you know what, this is a pretty good deal right now. I think I'm going to stay, and I think I'm going to hang out for a little bit. He doesn't say that, does he? We all know what would happen. Guess what? You and I wouldn't be here today, would we? Listen to how Jesus starts this out. And it reminds us of the conversation that he had with Nicodemus, right? Truly, truly, listen up. What I'm about to say to you, church, is extremely important. As a matter of fact, it is a principle of God's kingdom first applied to Jesus and then applied to those who follow him. This is how God's kingdom works. First, this is how God's kingdom is established, not by Jesus taking control, not by Jesus overthrowing the Roman government, but by Jesus giving up his life for those who are his enemies at the time. He dies. It's a law. It's a law that in order for a seed, the grain of wheat to bear fruit, that grain must die. It's a principle. And he wants every one of us to understand that this is how God's kingdom works. If you want to bear fruit, you need to die. Easier said than done, isn't it? This is why He came. He came to offer up His life, to die a horrific death. And it is in this way that you and I are saved. There is no other way around it. The only way that you and I live is if Jesus dies. If Christ does not die... There is no fruit. There is no salvation. And using this grain of wheat illustration, we go back to the meeting with the Samaritan woman and the harvest. The only way that harvest comes in is because Jesus offers his life. That's how God establishes his kingdom through the death of this eternal seed. It's the only way that it's made possible. And we hear this, but it's not a a theoretical dying unto self, although Jesus embodies that from the very start. He embodies self-sacrifice. He embodies self-denial. His whole entire life is made up of that. But this is a physical death for Jesus, He actually gives the shell of his body over into the hands of his enemies to be beaten, to be spat upon, to be whipped, and to be nailed to a cross. That's what to die looks like for Jesus. There's been many earthly kings throughout history. And they all have tried to establish their kingdom through the way that the Jews want Jesus to establish his. How many have lasted? How many have expanded the entire globe? None, really. I mean, for a period of time. Jesus Christ's kingdom reaches into Every corner of the earth. It will never end, and it's all because of what he does here. Without his death, you and I are lost. There is no kingdom. John Piper says something that's really, really important to understand with this. If you have pens, I would encourage you to write this down. He says, my dying, that Jesus is saying this in this passage, my dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation, My dying for your salvation is also my design for your imitation. I want you to go home. I want you to find a seed. I'm sure some of you guys have seeds, watermelons, any kind of seed, whatever seed. And I want you to either put it in a jar and do nothing to it. Put it on a piece of paper and do nothing to it. Put it on a shelf and do nothing to it. Folks, that is our lives unless we die. It is essentially worthless it is meaningless. It remains alone. And that death that you and I are to die is first, we are to die with Jesus Christ. Just like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Mark no longer exists. The life that I live, I live for Jesus Christ. Everything about me has to do with Jesus Christ. He is my very life. There is no other. This is the entrance into his kingdom. It's an acceptance of his death, but it's also a self-crucifixion with him. You and I won't live unless we first die with him. And you would think that in Christianity in America, it's the opposite. That we're trying to do the same thing, that we're making Jesus his king and we're just going to take all the spoils, but I get to keep me. I get to keep this person. That's not how it works. There's a bunch of lonely seeds in the church in America today. One gentleman says, he thinks that there are so many Christians that are not experiencing the fullness of God's grace because they are unwilling to die to themselves. You want to bear fruit? You want purpose? You want to be used by God? Here it is. We have to get rid of ourselves. And this is in the present tense, so don't get me wrong. There are days that I, I don't want to die. There are days that I preserve myself. It's the initial death. It's the initial willingness to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ for him to become everything to me. We accept him, identify with him, identify with his death and burial and resurrection. But it's a constant death, every day dying to ourself. And Jesus expands on what that looks like as he applies the rest of it to his disciples. The second rule of the road here is hate the temporal to gain the eternal. Verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. This is a picture of uh, Karen Reed. She's now 51. She always dreamed of, of being a bride, right? A lot of... Young girls dream of their wedding day, you know. Prince Charming coming along, except sometimes there's really no Prince Charming. Decide, you know, she wants to be married. So, at the age of forty, and she wasn't married, she was still single. She decided to take matters into her own hands. So, she spent around eight hundred pounds on a wedding. She bought, purchased a dress, limo and a champagne brunch at the five-star Morgan Hotel, Swansea, for the reception. She invited 16 guests, including her dad, Brian, aged 80, who walked her down the aisle to her big day on May 1, 2010, where she proceeded to read her vows and marry herself. That's right, she married herself. The mom of two, I don't know how that works, claimed that the wedding was the ultimate act of self-love and female empowerment. Karen has had a couple relationships since then. She's cheated on herself, I guess, but, <laughs> but she not, not enough to divorce herself. So, she's happily married... A, herself to this day. She says this about it. I was nearing 40. I had been ready to settle down for a while, so I thought, why not marry the person I love the most in this world? Not in a big-headed sense, okay, but I have learned to love and put myself first. This is a thing, it is really a thing right now. Um, another woman in the UK got married, and she, you know what, she had at the end of the wedding a mirror. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, little, little, love you. You know, I, I understand this from the world's perspective, and I understand this as an unbeliever. I understand that because it is an idolatry of self. This is, this is what the world wants you to do. This is exactly what the world wants you to do. But what makes my, my hair, right, makes me really upset, and makes me wonder what is going on is when Christians act like this. I was watching American Idol, and they had this star. They come and train the soon-to-be idols. They get these, these current stars to help them sing. And this one star claims to be a Christian and the advice she gave was to this one girl she's like you got to you got to talk yourself up she goes yeah i do it all the time in my bedroom at night i go upstairs and i look in the mirror and i tell myself you're awesome you're awesome you're going to crush it tonight i'll tell you what you know what i need to do at the end of the day in, in my bedroom at night i need to look at myself and be like you're an idiot you're not awesome you, you need to remember who you are. We, we have, we've flipped it. We've taken the psychology of the world and there are Christian churches that are teaching in order for you to love other people, you have to first love yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. It's crazy. It's backwards. To be a disciple of Christ, you must hate yourself. That's what he says. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. And the world right now is using a megaphone to tell us otherwise. It's all about ourselves. It's all about this person. This is our world. This is our God. And the church... The church is buying right into it. Health and wealth, prosperity, gospel. Jesus came to give you a comfortable, prosperous, easy life. Just believe. Just believe. That's heresy. It's not what it means to be his disciples. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes it even clearer in the other passages. Listen to what he says it's a must. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, not you, you might have to. You actually must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. If you can't do that, don't bother. It's all or nothing. Folks, this is is basic Christianity 101. This is actually where it starts. Everything about Jesus is now in us. His interest, His priorities, His kingdom, His way of doing things, His character... Because if we want to hold on to ourselves, he's like, fine. Self-preservation in this case leads to self-destruction. You want to preserve yourself now, who you are now, your ambitions, your goals, your dreams, your desires, your lust, your sin, all of it. If you want to preserve that now, that's fine. Guess what? You don't get to keep it later. You're done that's what he's saying. You know, I, 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 did, I wanted to do missions. You guys, some of you may have known that before. And uh, I had all these dreams, still had the dreams, even after I became a Christian, wanted to be, you know, this missionary who's going to die for Jesus. I remember telling my sister, hey, if I don't come back, I'm probably not coming back from Africa. Don't, don't, accept, I'm going to die. You know, and, and that's all about my glory, right? I had all these ambitions and all these dreams. And and the thing about it, I wanted to follow Jesus, but I wanted to take Mark with me. And that was all my goals. And it still happens in the Christian church where we think that Jesus is there to just fulfill our ambitions for us. Or to preserve our kingdoms here on earth. To preserve our rights, our way of living he says it in Philippians, right? All those things that, that I used to think were gain, and all my Philippians ladies who, who did that seminar, you're all like, yeah, they, were, they can come up and probably preach a sermon on this, right? And what does he say in that? He's saying, look, all those things that the world counts as a gain is really a loss because why? I have Jesus Christ. That's, all, that's what we need. That's who we need. And it's in the same context of where he says, have this attitude in you, not the attitude of the world that marries themselves, but the attitude of Jesus Christ who did not equate equality with God, but he left it all behind. He left his rights behind. He didn't cling to those. He didn't use those. They were his all the time. But what did he do? He took the form of a servant The lowest form of a servant, and he offered his body to death for what? For other people. For you and me. That's the gospel. That's the attitude Christians are to have. This is what our lives should look like as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not somebody who clings on to their life. Not someone who clings on to their rights and their own interests. But someone who lets them go in the name of Jesus and for the sake of others who don't know Him. That's Christianity. I'm not going to say this... Too much more. But again, the pandemic squeezed the church and much of what came out of it did not look like this at all. And here it did, thankfully. In other places, this is the opposite. Whether we agreed with the rules, whether we agreed with it, it sent a message to people. It sent a message as to what our priorities were and what we were willing to give up for others and for the sake of the gospel and for our public witness. John Piper says this, Our blood-bought rights and freedoms as citizens of heaven are not the same. As our American freedom of religion, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, and freedom of assembly. Jesus Christ did not die to guarantee these rights for this age. All these freedoms, he says, precious as they are, and they're precious precious as they are, can be taken away without any essential loss of our Christian freedom. Therefore, when the church seeks to use the power of the state to secure these civic freedoms as if their loss would be the loss of the Christian faith, we betray that we have lost our bearings and have fallen into this Wrong-headed worldliness. Wow. Do you know when he wrote that? 2016. Do you think God knew what was coming? Absolutely. We did the opposite. Much of the church did the opposite of what he's saying. It's unbelievable. He gave us his life and the giving of that life is a model for christianity lost our bearings lost our bearings what would have happened you would have thought that we were being asked to bow the knee to caesar And like I said, whether we agree or disagree, it sent a message. What would have happened if we were asked? Would we have taken up arms? Fought back? I pray to God, not. That wasn't the hill to die on, there's one hill. Christians to die on. It already has a name. It's called Calvary. It's a hill we die on. It's a hill we continue to die on till we join Him. Why? Because our citizenship is not of this world. Our lives are not of this world. Our lives do not belong to us. Matter of fact, brings us to our last point. Subjection to him here leads to exaltation there. Verse 26 If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Anyone ever been to an auction? Yeah, come on. Oh, auctions—they're fun, huh? Yeah, I don't—I've been to one auction, and I was—I um, was actually there because I wanted to see my paintings sell. I thought they would go much, much higher. I didn't—I could have like actually tried to bid higher to make them go higher, but that would have been wrong. So I didn't do that, and I probably would have ended up with my paintings anyway. But I can't do auctions because I like competition. So that would actually cost me a lot of money, I think, in the end. If you're like, you, you think you're going to, yeah, $2 million right here. You know, Sarah would not be very, very happy. But auctions are fun. The guy talks about his father taking him to an auction and gives him some advice. You know, first word of advice was don't scratch your nose at the wrong time, right, or smell your pit, even like that. Whoa, that was a lot. You know, or don't raise your hand or do any, any gestures because you might end up bidding for something Uh, that you didn't mean, but the the second piece of advice is even more important. He says this, whenever you go to an auction sale, make sure, like, before you know, before you go in, sometimes they hand out these catalogs, right, and you're going to bid on something that you want. Make sure, he says, that you know your upper limit price. I can only go this far. The guy comments on this, and he says, The great danger for us as Christians is many of us walk into the Christian life or continue in the Christian faith with an upper limit set. And we say, you know what, Jesus? I'll go this far. No farther. That's it. And we have that upper limit set. And he says, Jesus Jesus Christ does not allow us to do that. You see, all of that self-denial, all of that self-hate, so to speak, is not an end to itself. The self needs to be replaced with somebody. Do you know who that person is? It's Jesus Christ. And we need to serve him and follow him no matter where he takes us. This is absolute self-subjection to Jesus Christ. If you want to be where Jesus is, guess what? You're going to have to follow the way that he took. That's what he's saying. If anyone serves me, if anyone's ministering to me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And I would say, not only is that where he is now, but where he is now in this world, where he's operating, his character, the way that he lived his life, all of that means we need to follow the exact same path that he took. R.C. Sproul says it really, really correctly when he says, if you and I are not willing to participate in Christ's humiliation, we are not going to participate in his exaltation." Our calling is a calling to unconditional obedience to Jesus Christ. Unconditional obedience to Jesus Christ. There are no limits. But many of us follow Christ like we have all these no's. We follow him and we say, you know what, Lord, I know that this is wrong. I know you don't want me to do this, but I'm not, I'm not going to hand this over. This is, this is where I say no. And we say, you know what, Jesus, you're going this way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to kind of go around here, and I'm going to meet you back on that. That's not how it works. Serving Jesus also means serving in the way that he served The disciples are going to see, just in a few passages, what it means to serve. Where Jesus takes the form, takes the position of the the lowest servant, takes out a towel and washes his disciples' feet. That's what it means to serve Jesus, is to humbly serve others in his name. Not to exalt ourselves... But to humiliate ourselves, there are no limits. It's all or nothing. It's unconditional obedience to Him, and I, I think sometimes we, we have this idea of what it means to follow Him, and. and it, it's kind of part of it, but it's definitely not all of it. We think that following Jesus means that it has to do with just strictly guidance in our life. Oh, I followed Jesus to Galilee. He led me to Galilee. Yes, that could be part of it. Or I followed Jesus to marry this individual. I'm sure you've heard that. Yeah, I'm just following the Lord's leading in my life. Or I followed Jesus to this ministry. It all, it's all directional. It's all positional. I'll tell you what, Jesus is less concerned with your position than your character. He wants your character. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus, when he says this to his disciples, where is he going? He's going to Calvary. That's where he's going. Follow me to this place, yes, but in this fashion. It's character. It's attitude. It's priorities. Follow me where I'm going to die for sin. Therefore, you too die to sin. Give up yourself. Forget this world. Live for me. There are many folks in this world who seem to be following Jesus and doing great things for the Lord, but self remains on the throne. They're obedient not to Jesus, but to their own lusts, desires, and ambitions. We can't follow Him on Sunday and then do whatever we want Monday through Saturday. It's not how it works. And the church needs to hear this message We're making disciples of the world. We look just like the world. There is a cost to discipleship. Jesus says it here. The way up is down. The way to honor is submission and humiliation. That's what He says. If you want to be honored by my Father, here's the way, guys. There is no other road. The gold road. Revelation. Talks about the streets of gold. I don't know if they're going to be bricks or it's going to be one solid piece. I'm going to go with a solid piece. We'll take bets. I won't owe you. I'm going to be like looking at that road. You know, is, is there an eBay up here? <laughs> hey, Bob, I got a chunk of the road. I'll sell it to you for 20 bucks. <laughs> that road, it kind of symbolizes uh, what our life is going to be like, right? It's going to be... Beautiful. This is going to be marvelous, uh, and it's gonna. There's not going to be any more pain, is there? No. No more pain. No more suffering. Nope. No more sin. Nope. No more struggles. It's going to be very, very comfortable. It's going to be very, very joyful. It's going to be very, very peaceful. It's a road in heaven. Guess what? It's not our road now. Our road now is not paved with gold. The road to our glorification is paved with His crucifixion. It is the the only way That you and I have eternal salvation is through his death, burial, and resurrection, and it is a model for our imitation. Our road is made of wood, the wood of the cross. That's our road. It defines us, it shapes us. Christians are people of the cross. The gold comes later, now it's the wood. It's a life where we die into ourselves and live for Him. It's a life where we hate this world. We hate the world's interests and we live for Him. And it's a world, it's a a life where we follow Him no matter what the cost. This is who we are. The road to our peace, the road to our comfort, the road to our eternal joy, the road to our honor is a road that is paved with suffering, hardship, sadness, self-denial, humiliation, and our death. And it's a road… That all disciples of Jesus Christ must travel. Father, some hard, hard truths today, Lord. And Lord, we know that it is because Jesus took that path that we have eternal security when we place our faith in Him. We're short of that, Lord, but we also know that the reflection of that salvation is seen in what we read today, that we are called to a life of self-denial for your sake and for the sake of others, and I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray, Lord, that we can do this today and every day that follows until we reach that place of eternal comfort. By your grace and for your glory, in the precious name of Jesus Christ who gave his life up for us, we pray. Amen.